Hello, hello, and welcome to The Fruitful Life with Andrea Thompson. Today's episode, uh, we're going to be in the book of James. Um, I've been in the book of James a lot lately. The Lord has blessed me with um, the realization or the revelation that um, all of what James had to say in this particular book um, is profitable for those in the body of Christ who want to mature. Everything here in the book of James can be what I would call a mark of a mature believer. I think that this book is perfect uh, for those who have been in Christ for quite some time to measure themselves against, to say, have I gotten to this place? And the particular place I want to talk to you about today um, is both profiting from trials and being a hearer, I'm sorry, a doer, not a hearer, um, a doer of the word. You know, everybody knows the part in James where it says, um, count it all joy uh, when you go through various trials. Um, I have jokingly said that it's kind of become cliche or rhetoric. Um, (laughs) It really has where it's like, count it all joy. Um, That is not easy. I think first and foremost, we have to recognize that the things that are in the word, we need God's wisdom to apply. We need the Holy Spirit. These are things that are um, not in our fallen nature. That's why the Bible says that we are to put off the old man and put on Christ, that we have become partakers of a divine nature. Well, divine nature is very opposite of a fallen nature. Uh, The two are directly opposed to each other. And so, although we are now in Christ and seated in heavenly places, and that is absolutely the truth of our reality, the practical aspect of this is that we have to work out our salvation um, in fear and trembling. And part of that is learning to apply the word, not only in life in general, but also in the hardest of spaces, in the places where God designed the tough things to actually form us into the image of Christ. So many believers, including myself across the board, desire to be more like Christ, desire, (coughs) excuse me, I'm sorry, I've got a cold, desire to change someone's life by what they know of Christ, by their relationship with Christ. Um, We all desire these things and these are good, godly desires. But I think sometimes we just sit in that desire and we close our eyes and we click our heels and say there's no place like home and we think it's just going to happen. It's not. It's just not. You know, Paul talked about that it was identifying with the death of Christ that caused the life of Christ to come out of him. He said, I died daily, um, that the death of Christ is in operation in me. And the more that it is, the more that Christ's life is able to come through. You know, there's so many principles in the Bible that are a kingdom way of thinking, but they are a design of God of how this thing works and how we become fruitful with our lives, how we become useful for the master's work, how we prosper our souls, you know? And so this is why we need wisdom. 
Wisdom is the instruction of the Lord. And it's by wisdom that we are able to apply the word rightly to our lives, where we will over time see the fruit of that application. And so I've been teaching um, out of James recently. And of course, I've now been tried a little bit uh, by this very thing that I was teaching. And I'm so thankful thankful for the Holy Spirit, because um, even I will go to my default setting in the midst of what I would consider pressure, because that is what trials are. That is what attacks from the enemy feel like, uh, whether we realize it or not, it's, it's pressure. That pressure can come in the form of anxiety, fear, worry. Um, it can come in the form of anger. Um, it can come in the form of, you know, not guarding our mouths. I mean, there's so many different things that can happen when we feel under pressure or when we feel like we don't have control, uh, which we don't, by the way, control is a lie. (laughs) Um, but isn't that interesting that our fallen nature feels like it has to have control. But anyways, it's not our default setting to count it all joy when we face things in life that cause us to suffer or feel like they're causing us harm or again, create pressure. And just in the past couple of days, um, I've been a little bit tried emotionally. Now, what's interesting is my mind did not consider it a trial. It felt more like a full-fledged attack um, from Satan. But I think in some ways they can be one in the same. Satan always has his hand in the pot, even when uh, the Lord is allowing it. And we have to remember that Satan can only do um, to some extent what the Lord allows um, as far as testing goes. If you'll remember Jesus saying to Peter that Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And instead of Jesus getting in the way of that and saying, no, you, you, you will do no such thing. And sometimes I think we paint him as that guy because we want that level of protection. But we don't realize that to some extent Jesus will step out of the way because he knows what it will produce in us. And Peter had to go through that in order for him to become who he was meant to become in this equation of advancing the kingdom of God here on earth. And so he said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And I prayed for you that your faith would not fail you. And then he said, kind of in a declaration, positive declaration, he said, and when, like, and when you have like passed this test, go and strengthen your brothers, you know, kind of thing, because he already knew Peter was going to pass the test. But he also had to get out of the way and allow uh, Satan to move because God uses it. He just does. I know that wrecks some people's theology. And I know there is always going to be a certain level of mystery with the Lord and his ways, because his ways are so much higher. But that's biblical to understand that the Lord will absolutely allow some things and he will use them for our benefit. That's why in Romans it says he works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. So I did not consider the the things I have dealt with in the past couple of days of trial. I considered them an attack. And so I didn't even realize that my response to them was not what God would want from me. Now, praise the Lord in his grace and in his mercy. It was only like a day later that the Holy Spirit was like, hey, you've been teaching on this. Hey, like this is how you're supposed to respond. 
So I repented and I even mourned a little bit. That's how you know that the Lord is starting to move upon your heart because you're able to mourn over not being well pleasing to him. It's not a shame. It's not a condemnation. It's a beautiful connection between your heart and God. And so I had to cry a little bit and say, God, forgive me. I didn't respond in the very way that I've been teaching others to. Um, And I said, thank you, you know, for reminding me of what I need to do, that I do need to count it joy, whether I want to look at it as an attack or a trial. I need to count it joy because I know what it produces in me. And if I will allow my first instinct when I'm going through any kind of suffering or pressure or attack or whatever, if I will allow my first instinct to be to be quiet, to be quiet and to incline my ear and listen for what God has to say to me, he will help me to walk in wisdom through whatever it is and come out on the other side having profited from it in the aspect of Christ-likeness. I believe this is why in James 1.19, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. The reason we need to quickly incline our ear to the Lord and be slow to speak is because a lot of the times what we're saying, it's, it's futile meaning it's not connected to a life source. It's oftentimes flesh if we're just being honest. And we know that, again, sowing into the flesh reaps destruction. There's nothing good. There's nothing profitable about the flesh. It may feel real good for the moment, but it will profit you nothing in the end. And so we want to be slow to these things, although I wouldn't consider myself at all in the past couple of days being full of wrath, because this says in verse 20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I still took this concept and I said, you know what, God, I've been frustrated for, for two days. I've been irritated for two days. I have been anxious for two days, you know, and I said that even though I don't feel like I'm in wrath, that doesn't, that also does not produce the righteousness of God. It can't, it can't. And again, what if the whole purpose and allowing these things is so that it will produce the righteousness of God? We all want these things. We say that we want them, but we always fail to look at how we gain them. And in the kingdom, the way in which we gain is to lose to some extent which is totally opposite of the world. But I'm telling you, if we don't grab a hold of this, not only will we not mature, but nothing will be profitable to us. And we will not be what the Bible calls a vessel of honor prepared for every good work. You know, there is such thing. It talks about it in Titus where it says disqualified for every good work. And I'm not saying that so that every five seconds you can question whether you've been disqualified from every good work. What I am saying is the Bible tells us to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, right? To lay this stuff aside, to put off our old nature and to put on our new nature and to ask for the Holy Spirit's help. You know, I kept thinking about the verse in Corinthians where it says that his power is perfected in our weaknesses, Paul talked about boasting in his weakness because of knowing that. And then I think about how he said, excuse me, a messenger 
of, of Satan was sent to buffet him. And he said he practically begged God to remove it from him. Whatever it is, he, he practically begged God to remove it from him. And in our human way of thinking, in our logic, and our reasoning, we would think that what equals a good God, a good father, is that he would remove that thing, right? That Paul is begging him to remove, but he doesn't. This is what I'm saying. We can create a false Jesus in our minds if we're not careful to be diligently studying our word, okay? And so we'll think, oh, well, God would never do that. But is that true according to the word? God's answer in response to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you. God would rather leave that thing and let Paul increase in the grace of God, empower him more in that place of weakness, because whatever that thing was, it was causing weakness. But the weakness was causing the power of God to be perfected in Paul. I just want you to see that because I think sometimes we get so attacked by the enemy in the midst of trial in our minds, you know, and we're like, man, I'm messing up or whatever. (coughs) I'm so bad at this or whatever. When instead we should be boasting in our weaknesses, presenting them before God and saying, your grace is absolutely sufficient for me. Your power is perfected in my weakness. And God, where I'm weak right now is being able to respond correctly to this. I'm struggling. I think sometimes we forget to just go to him in that kind of truth. Just lay it all down and go, I I can't do that. Because the truth is you can't do it. You can't choose wisely without him. You can't operate in godly wisdom and apply the word rightly without him. So we miss the whole point to begin with is that we must cling to him for all things, depend upon him for all things. And so this is where I was a bit convicted because not only did I not originally respond by inclining my ear and staying away from frustration and irritation, which is futile, But I also technically was not being a doer of the word. I believe that that's why this little part in James is here right behind the aspects of trials is because a lot of the times we can deceive ourselves in different areas of what the word has asked of us, of what wisdom has instructed us to do. And when we don't count it all joy, when we forget that, trials and and pressure and whatever it is the attacks they produce in us virtues of christ christ likeness when we do all that we deceive our own hearts according to the word because we are just being hearers and not doers a doer of the word is going to respond to the trial saying god i'm listening for you i'm asking for wisdom slow it all the way down, ask for wisdom. How do I walk through this thing? What are, what, am, what am I needing to learn, God? What needs to come up out of me, Lord? Because it's also not only pressure, but it's heat testing and fi- refining our faith, right? Which is more precious than gold. It's of great value to God. And just being able to look at things in that way and just say, help me, God, to respond 
from my divine nature more and more and more so that it becomes my default setting so that I can mature and grow up into what you call a perfect man so that I can operate in my heart's desire, which is to operate in the fullness of Christ because that's what you've given me is the fullness that Christ may be manifested through me in such a way that is so tangible to this world. Guys, the only way we're going to do that is to start applying the word of God through godly wisdom to our lives and start realizing how futile the ways of the world are and our ways that are rooted and grounded in self or maybe things that we were taught when we were younger or maybe unwise counsel that we've been given from worldly people, people that maybe mean well, but again, it's, it's futile. We've got to learn these lessons as we walk worthy of the calling. The other thing I want to talk to you about today is how we deal with each other. I think it's, uh, first of all, I think it's important that as Jesus said, we get the plank out of our own eye before we go trying to get the speck out of our brothers. I think that that passage, this is separate from what, what I was just talking about because I have a little bit more time. I think that passage is, uh, the context of that is hypocrisy. Okay, so don't make it something it's not. It doesn't mean that we cannot correct our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we are not ever to do it from a heart posture that is not humble that is arrogant, that thinks you're better than anyone, like none of that. And especially not, again, telling and correcting your brother with something that you have yet to correct in your own life. However, there is a beautiful and pure place amongst believers in the body of Christ where we are to reprove each other. That's a gentle correction. And we should be doing it out of absolute love. Now, there's also time and place for a rebuke. But more than that, we need to reprove each other. Because many times people have not matured. They've not been discipled. To some extent, it's not even their own fault because they've not been discipled in the word of God. The church, the big C church has not necessarily been doing its job in raising up mature believers. And so we got many, many, many across the board that are doing things and not doing things that break my heart (laughs) so often. But something the Lord is doing is softening in my heart in that place and helping me to gently, I mean, so gently correct and reprove and call them up higher and say, listen, you're better than that in the Lord. The Lord has so much more for you Like we cannot, we can't joke about, we got to separate ourselves from the world. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of the Lord. There is nothing about the world that has anything to do with the kingdom. They are in direct opposition of each other. And if we are claiming to be followers of Christ and we have been given this kingdom where Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then man, we better start acting like like it as far as what comes out of our mouth and what we demonstrate to the world. You know, God has been showing me in this framework of being used. So many people in the body of Christ want to be used by God. And that's, that's not a bad thing at all. 
That's actually a part of the design is that we are used to advance the kingdom of God. But I think we fail to realize like what makes us useful, you know, and again, that's operating in the design of God. That's growing in grace and in the knowledge of God that is growing in intimacy with Jesus Christ, walking as he walked, right? Applying the word of God in wisdom, cleansing ourselves from everything that is dishonorable to God, that is not well pleasing to him is what makes you useful to the kingdom of God. And we, we, we just, we have to, we have to realize that we have to realize that because God absolutely wants to use us. But I want to give you an example that the Lord gave me the other day. You know, everybody remembers when Jesus talked about how we are salt and light. Well, he also talked about salt losing its saltiness. He said, when salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot by men. He also said a light hidden under a basket, like it's useless. You know, the purpose in salt is to season something, is to preserve something, right? And again, if it loses its saltiness, it's useless. Same thing with light. Light is meant to give light in darkness. Yet if you take a light and you hide it under something, it's no longer doing what it was purposed for. That's kind of what believers are doing is putting their light under a basket or losing their flavoring as salt when we don't walk by the word of God. When we allow these little petty things that that like crude jokes, we're telling and laughing at crude jokes. We're not controlling our tongue. We're just cussing up a storm or whatever. We're we're angry and producing wrath and, you know, and then gossip behind this, you know, just all of this stuff that is futile and is not the way for a believer. But we aren't even convicted truly about it. That's my thing. It takes time to grow in these things, but if you're not even convicted about these things, like deeply convicted, or, or, you know, making fun of the word in some sort of way. Like, it, it, we can't be, guys, we can't be doing that. We cannot fit in with the world. We also can't leave it because we have to minister to the world, but we are not to fit in with the world. We are to be ye separate. And so we need to understand that if we keep trying to fit in with the world, whether we realize we're doing it or we're, or we don't, not only are we a vessel fit for dishonor and not for the master's use, right? But we are literally what Jesus talked about, salt without flavor and a light hidden under a basket. And how can we not mourn and grieve over that, that picture, because Jesus' sacrifice made us salt and light. So for us to do those kinds of things like lose our flavor or put the light under a basket is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And again, the only way that we can get to the things that I'm saying in our mindset and in our hearts is to read the word. That's why I'm saying these things, because I read the word and it changes my heart. I don't know how anybody is walking this walk without the word of God. The deeper I get into it, the more I realize what a lie from the pits of hell that a Christian can be a Christian without their Bible, without the word of God. Now, I know that the extreme version of that is that the Bible is not the only thing. We also need intimacy with Christ, which partly comes through the word, but also comes through spending time with him. 
because we remember that Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, you know, thinking they're going to save you. And like they, they point to me because he is still a person who is alive. Right. So we don't have to go to that extreme. But at the same time, I'm seeing so many Christians that aren't in their word. And this is not a condemnation. This is a like level up because the design is for you to mature and grow into a full man or a perfect man. So I'm just saying, balance out this desire to be used, this desire to please God, this desire to walk the walk or whatever. Don't let your desires be that. And yet you don't read your word that doesn't match up. How do I walk this out, God? Begin to stir that desire into some action. Otherwise, you got nothing. And that's what the faith without works is dead. Just like the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works. And we've been saved unto good works, being first and foremost fruit, the fruit of the spirit, things that we could not tangibly cultivate on our own. And then the outflow being good works and what we do for others. So I just pray today that the spirit of conviction would convict any heart that needs to hear this, including my own, but that we would also be compelled to get deeper into our word, compelled to mourn and repent over the things that we have caused God's heart to grieve and that we would set our feet and plant our feet on paths of righteousness, remind ourselves that the way is narrow that leads to life remind ourselves of these things, that this is not an easy walk, but God is with us. Hallelujah. I bless you. I bless you today in Jesus name. Amen.